1: have accessed Entry 215.PR0812. Certificate number 36799.
0: Chindogu. Have you ever invented anything? Like, just even in your head? Like, you know what? Oh, for sure. Like, if an alarm clock had, instead of playing... What if it played like if you were just yeah
1: ton, tons moment? of things you know I I, I was uh, definitely working on cold fusion for a long time and then I think also alchemy uh, I had I had I had different programs that I ran
0: well, I don't think most of the things you would need for either of those would be available to the layperson did
1: you just think you could get like well I'm, do cold I'm no fusion layperson. with some
0: progresso soup and some
1: <laughs> no copper you know, wiring i i it's like it's the it's the classic uh dunning kruger effect i know just enough about things to think i know about things you're the one to crack it <laughs> and so no but I, I was i'm always making little gizmos but i guess i can't separate them from all the like scripts and media properties that i'm also Inventing and not following through on. And it's hard for like me. Like
0: you can't miss elevator pitch for a yeah, right. summer box office No, no, no. It's meatballs,
1: but also deer hunter. <laughs> it's meatballs and deer hunter. Uh, but I'm trying to think of like a, a good invention and I can't quite. I, I,
0: Kids are always like gadgeteers.
1: Yeah, right. Right? For, well, Rube Goldberg definitely was a, was a
0: phase. But to, do you remember looking? I mean, because that's that's like a 19, what, 30s yeah. cartoonist? Yeah, yeah, But yeah. kids do love, uh, and I think teachers now assign it, invent a Rube Goldberg machine that will, for those who are not aware, Rube Goldberg was an American cartoonist um, well into the 20th century who was best known for drawing these outlandish, what, sequential inventions where a fan would blow a sailboat, which would annoy the cat, which would claw yeah. the balloon, which would release the and it was always to accomplish a
1: very mundane task. Yeah,
0: he had a he had a character to stir the coffee or to it he, was like Mr. Mr. Boob or Mr. Butts or whatever. Back when boobs and butts were
1: meant something else.
0: they just I don't know what they meant. It well, just desexualized though. Yeah,
1: a boob. Yeah, right.
0: People don't know this but everyone in the 30s was named Mr. Boob or Mr. Butt.
1: <laughs> Mr. Boob and Mr. Butt. You were a boob guy or a butt guy. They're my law firm.
0: And it's always like Mr. Boob uh, hates to walk to the window and yell at the at the noisy cat, they always have some hilarious old timey problem.
1: What I what I uh, learned not long ago was that in the UK there is a, a a completely different Rube Goldberg, someone a cartoonist in the UK who I think maybe coincidentally or or um, uh, well unrelated right, parallel also, development yeah also had a bunch of wacky gizmos, and they're called something else. Heath Robinson contraption. Yeah, it's a Heath Robinson contraption.
0: Can you imagine what a great band being name. British? I mean, it's because um, it's because of our different uh, opinion about Jewish people on the other side of the <laughs> We're allowed to have a guy named Reuben Goldberg, and they're like, mm, what if it were a Heath Robinson contraption? Surely Mother would prefer that. <laughs> but there are, I, and then once I realized that, I think internationally
1: there are, there are a half a dozen different Rube Gold—I think New Zealand has their own Rube Goldberg. I should
0: have done a little moment of research to see if there's a precursor. Like I'm sure there's not. I'm sure Ovid wasn't writing about outlandish step at a time processes and gadgets. But like after the Industrial Revolution, was there some first guy who was like, "It would be amusing if." (laughs) I used
1: to try and construct usable Rube Goldberg machines, and then the the one that I uh, the one that I worked the hardest on was. In the early 1980s, 1980,
0: it that, must have been. That would be the early 1980s. The earliest
1: of the 1980s. I used to drink a lot of Lipton iced tea mix. Okay, this is a great start for a story. <laughs> then what happened? <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I make these big glasses of it. And not realizing that it's full of sugar and caffeine, I thought it was, it's tea. You know, It's kind of a grown-up drink yeah. for a guy who's just going into seventh grade. Like, I drink tea now. Well, no, it's just like sugar pop, but I drank it by the gallon and I got, I got tired, Ken, of having to mix Lipton tea as, as often as I wanted mixed Lipton tea. And so I developed a Rube Goldberg machine that would, that would spoon tea mixture into a glass You were Mr. Boob. And then pour a pitcher. I had a pitcher of water there. I worked on it all summer to get it so that it it didn't spill all over or fail. Did it work? No, it never worked. I mean, yeah, but I had to – like it's the Rube Goldberg thing where you have to kind of put a finger on it. You have to tip the – Tip the scale or make sure, you know, hold the thing so it doesn't
0: fall. Those inventions are always impossible. There's no way to guarantee, and that's kind of the joke. There's no way right. to guarantee that the dog will actually eat the hot dog at the right speed that would, you know. Or, Unless or you're okay go
1: and you and you have a million dollars to throw at it.
0: Well, that's the thing. Like, these are acted out in real life to hilarious... I mean, even as a kid, I remember watching Sesame Street things where a ball would roll down a chute and trip a bunch of hilarious things. And, you know, I could just watch those indefinitely. That was better than The Cran Factory on Mr. Rogers for me.
1: We had that clock that you built. It was a. It was like a home project. You built this clock that had ball bearings. And every minute, it would drop another ball bearing. And then the ball bearings would collect and gradually... Their combined weight would cause another layer to drop, another, yeah. you know, a lever to drop. And then they would all f- go down at the half hour or whatever. And oh, I've seen those. And uh, it was so freaking loud. And it sat, it sat <laughs> in our living room. <laughs> and it was there for years. And, it, you know, the, you could hear the little engine running. But then every time a ball bearing went down, it was like, <clears throat> conk, conk, conk. Uh, and somehow we lived with it. It would drive me crazy now.
0: People... Modern people love, and especially I think, do you think it's still the case? Maybe this is a pre-digital thing, but 20th century children loved the idea of the gadgeteer who wakes up in the morning and his bed tips him into his pajamas oh. and then a treadmill takes him into the shower and then his, you know something fires uh, the eggs into the skillet. And Isn't it the opening of the Jetsons? It's in Jetsons. It's in Wallace and Gromit. It's in, um, uh, oh, I just had another one and I lost it. Uh, I guess Scrooge McDuck had one of these guys Uh who was always... You know, they loved the idea of a... And I don't know what the appeal of the mechanical tinkerer is.
1: Well, it's, yeah, the robot, right? We're all hoping that one day the robot will...
0: Is it just labor-saving? Is it the same way a 50s housewife would just love a better dishwasher? Like you just wanted someone to stir your tea for you because you were a lazy A-butts? Yeah, it's in the same family of like a whole turkey dinner in a pill.
1: It's kind of astronaut... Technology,
0: Ever, but we loved that at the time. But then, in, in practice, you would hate that, right? Like all those inventions w- were just terrible, kind of aseptic clinical. They strip would strip all the joy out of life. Well, I mean, the whole gamer
1: culture that that developed, uh, Soylent, and I mean, ten years ago or or however long ago that was, Soylent was in all the blogs, <laughs> and it was gonna gonna release us from the tyranny of having to cook. And enjoy food, you could just sit at your... You'd never have to leave your game console. You could just sit and drink this... It wasn't like made from green. your fellow
0: gamers, right? Well, that was the thing about the name. Like, what What were they They, they actually called it Soylent? It was It was called So I still have some. Well, it was just a goo that would come up to, to, through a straw so you wouldn't have to yeah, some, pause your
1: game? Some millennial uh, in Silicon Valley was like, what are the nutrients that are necessary for human life? And they made a list of all the vitamins and minerals. And they were like, well, what if we just put those into a jar? And it was like, well, it's basically called Metamucil. You know, it's a, it's a grainy muck. And they were like, yeah, but if you, if you only had to drink two shakes, in scare quotes, two grainy shakes a day, you never had to get up from your computer. You didn't have to, you know, you could live in your studio apartment in, in, uh, East Palo Alto and never have to work. So laziness trumps gluttony. But also then it became a component of like a new fitness where it's gluten free or you're going to drink this thing and then you're going to work out and you're going to become the perfect, perfect human.
0: I think you're right. I think it is. Yeah, you've talked me into that. Like children are constantly being told you have to do this. You want to lay on the grass and do nothing or Look at the TV and do nothing, but instead you're being told you have to go brush your teeth, clean your room. Imagine a, imagine a world where a treadmill and a series of Gloved Doctor Sue's hands did all that for you. That really is the dream to a child. Mom would tell me to brush my teeth, but it would just happen magically, yeah. and I would never have to lift a finger. I still wish
1: for it. I've told you about my roommate that came to me one day. I mean, we were drug addicts, so it it you have to contextualize it. But he said, "I've got it," and he I've got it. I've got it all figured out. And he showed me this. Pretty elaborate schematic for a, a meth, I assume. No, no, no. Not we, for the schematic, but uh, we got the, that from somewhere else. I'm guessing the drug. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. They were these were speedy drugs that produced schematic drawings. But he had uh, built a suit, an exoskeleton, that he was gonna <laughs> he was gonna um, wear, kind of like the the suit that Sigourney Weaver wears in Aliens. It, 2. At the end of Aliens. And the suit was going to enable him to go to work at uh, McMiniman's Clam Chowder Bar, where he made clam chowder and served oysters. He worked at the oyster bar. But the suit was going to enable him to go to work while he slept. <laughs> because we, we, we used to stay up all night you know, partying, but then he had to go to work. This is just the pants in the Wallace and Gromit thing. And he really hated the fact that when, when he wanted to crash— he had to go to work. And so the problem as he saw it was how do I work while I'm sleeping? I'll build an exoskeleton. And I had, I didn't have the heart to try, try and explain to him that, you know, like if he could build an exoskeleton, that you, that it would just be a robot. If he didn't,
0: if he was sleeping inside, it would just be a robot, man. you can't tell that to somebody who's got a case of the schemies. Well, it, I mean, it just has to make some schematic d- drawings before he comes down. So I said that to him at some point. And he was like, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm
1: inside getting paid. <laughs>
0: and I was like, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the second they can produce a suit that can man an oyster bar, he's out of work. No, They'll he's just inside. They'll just—he's getting paid. I Ken. understand this, <laughs> but what if his manager realizes he wouldn't have to pay just the suit? Well, that's the thing. The and sleeping I said, man can be fired and stay home. If you if you could develop that suit, you would get paid because you'd be the robot man. <laughs> right? You'd you'd
1: make millions. And He'd he be like, the no. only one. He just was thinking as far as like, how do I go? How do I go to my six dollar an hour oyster bar job? And keep getting paid,
0: but there's beyond the laziness of it. There's something to the beauty of the. Maybe it's just admiring the laws of physics. The same way a Goethe would just love the idea of the spheres whirling through the heavens. You love the idea that this ball is exactly the right weight to, to knock the cherry onto the ice cream sundae, or to roll down the path at the right speed to you know get to the next track. Or it's not that different from watching a model train. Something about miniature perfection
1: well and what's weird is what is the washing machine or the toaster if not the first iteration of that i mean somebody
0: had to do it a woman had to like what if i take these baskets and i put them inside a clothes washing machine you know and the dishwasher i mean
1: it used to be seven steps that took all afternoon and now it's one step or two steps so yeah it just feels like take the industrial
0: revolution but make it personal in the 1970s uh, there's a post-war Japanese man who's the subject of this entry in the omnibus Kenji Kawakami who uh, studied to be an aeronautical engineer but dropped out of um, university in the I guess in the late 60s because he got part uh, he was wrapped up in the left-wing. Student movement mm. that emerged in Japan, as in the U.S. at the time, in Japan specifically spurred on by a, uh, a military treaty signed between the U.S and Japan.
1: that had something
0: to do with nukes It was the AnPO agreement was essentially I mean in the in the eyes of this student movement, it was a you know, betrayal of the Japanese demilitarization right. because it allowed for American bases in Japan in perpetuity like the deal was for 10 years but it was like if nobody backs out this deal goes forever and we are now in what it's 1960 we you know we are now in the seventh decade of this treaty and we still got all our naval and air force bases in japan
1: so the bases in japan the american military bases in japan weren't like they were in germany uh like all uh, immediate aftermath of world war ii
0: yeah, they were, but I think this codified, um, this, this, this is not a temporary occupation that's going away once rebuilding is over. This is the new, the new normal. Reality. And I, this is very funny to me. I looked up the Onpo agreement just now, and the Wikipedia uh, entry takes pains to note that um, the U.S.-Japan security treaty has lasted longer than any other alliance between two great powers formed after the 1648 Peace of Westphalia. Huh. Peace of Westphalia is the high watermark for this sort of military alliance. And every Until other now, one dissolves. I guess. At some point along the way. I guess. But huh. not but not the U.S.-Japanese one. Anyway, it led to a lot of kind of a, a weird, you know, right-wing nationalists in Japan would hate this just as much as the, the left-wing peacenik students would.
1: That's how you know they got it right. <laughs> Boy, I'm getting...
0: I'm a comedian that gets criticized on all sides, and that's how I know it's good. I'm
1: not racist. I hate everybody. <laughs>
0: And so Kawakami dropped out to, you know, get involved in uh, anti-military uh, and anti-American activism. By the 1980s, you know, he never gets that engineering degree. By the 1980s, he's a freelance writer. I'm kind of imagining him like a Haruki Murakami character, tooling around Tokyo in a weird sob or something, yeah, and uh, a bike with uh, unequal tires, making himself pasta dinners and having a series of romantic flings. I'm sure it's lovely. Um, but by the 90s, when our story begins, he's working as an editor for a publication called Tsuhon Sekatsu, which, as I'm sure you know, means mail-order life. I did know that. Because you love to live that mail-order life.
1: I do, baby. You? More and more every day.
0: If you, like us, future listeners, are in an age where uh, commerce, whatever that means to you, commerce and capitalism, if you have it, uh, happens digitally and remotely, know that that is an outlier, that is, hmm. you know, for the last twenty years of modernity, that's been the state of play. If you if you want something, you tell your computer, when and it was the, appears. When was the first time
1: you ordered something online? Because I, well, it hasn't <sighs> been twenty years for me. You think it's less? Oh, way less. No. I don't think I ordered something online until
0: two thousand. And I graduated from college in two thousand, so it's a really bright line for me. And I don't remember shopping online at at University, but I do remember shopping online at my first boring job. Really? Because yeah, I, I said, build me a suit where I can write Java code, um, and I can <laughs> sleep, and inside the suit, I'm still getting paid. You're, and and shopping, <laughs> and I'm on uh, Proto Amazon. Uh, no, I you know I dated a girl
1: who sold old uh, Air Jordans on um, on eBay. In like 2005, 2006? And you were like, you bought something on the internet? No, she would, she would go to thrift stores and buy old Air Jordans oh. and then clean them up and sell them on eBay.
0: I just realized I was aware of eBay in the 90s. I in feel the like, 90s? Yeah, I feel like my mom was like selling. You're kidding. Sell, you know, cl- trying to clean out the house. on. Or, no, actually, you know what? I think she was buying stuff. My mom does not clean out the house. She fills up the house.
1: Because in 2006, I was still very like... Wowed and baffled by, because we were all thrifters, but she was selling this. People were buying Air Jordans from her online, and she was—you know—she was making a halfway decent. It was it was aug, a, it
0: augmented her uh, was her it a, salary as a barmaid. Was it a tidy sum? That's it, my favorite kind of sum. It was a tidy the, sum. She was—you know—she was very tidy. Isn't and, it nice yeah. to get it when you get a sum and then you look at it? You open mm. the wad of bills and it's a tidy sum. That's a tidy sum. Uh, the first eBay and Amazon sales were in the same year, 1995, but it was a, but it was a slow and text focused, um, ramp up. The first book to sell on Amazon was a textbook called Fluid Concepts and Creative Analogies. And that was the only book they had for the first five years.
1: (laughs) For the first five years? No, no, that was.
0: I don't, I don't think
1: I bought a thing into until the 2010s, uh, and I think partly it was just that I was very reluctant to put my credit card number into a box on the internet. I didn't trust any of the PayPal. It right. all seemed super sketchy to me.
0: Your, your cabin in the Montana woods didn't even have, you know, still had dial-up. But I was still trying to sell, like, cassette
1: tapes out of the back of my van until 2012, so... So
0: for you, it's only been 16 years of... Glorious Amazon Christmases.
1: Sixteen. I'm saying ten. It's been ten years.
0: Congratulations on getting your ten years Thank chip you. For, <laughs> for for buying crap you don't need at that three a.m. No, Amazon. I think Merlin
1: Mann was saying to me that he was ashamed of himself for buying toilet paper online and having it delivered to his home.
0: I still feel some of that. And I like it's I, less. Said, it's less virtuous. Yeah. Yeah. What are you talking? About? You, the store is down at the corner. Like I could go to Costco and get a twelve pack of of conditioner if i'm out and then i feel like i've done my part for who who capitalism i don't know but but if i go online and i have a man bring me a 12 pack of conditioner there's i just feel like i'm a it's a climate change issue tycoon
1: right like it's one more vehicle on the roads
0: yeah i mean if i go out i could do a week of shopping at once and i could also hit Home Depot and uh, the drugstore. you're the
1: one climate changing then. Instead,
0: it's a guy with uh, nothing in the back seat of his Subaru except a 12-pack of Suave conditioner for Ken Jennings.
1: I wonder if I can go back. I wonder if Amazon and eBay, they must be able to tell me when I joined because I never bought a thing before. Oh, no, wait. <gasps> I did. I bought a gizmo. Perfect. I bought a gizmo. Couldn't she just go a sharper image? Or? No, no, no. It came from India, and it was a box like a little music box that had a that had multiple keys, and it played, um, it played like sitar drones, so in different keys, <laughs> but but it was in the it was in a, a different scale, like not in a sort of
0: Western scale. It was some diatonic.
1: Yeah, it had all, but you could play basically like sitar-ish drones on this little battery-powered.
0: I'm sure the extended kind of get, get back will have somebody playing with one of these.
1: Well, and I and I I was so excited to use it, and it came damaged, Boo. and so I got into this protracted return issue. With you know, and I was calling them on the phone, and the guy was in, he was it was in India, and it took twenty minutes to make the connection. And I was like, "Listen, the box was broken." And the guy was like, "Are you sure it was broken?" And I had taken pictures, Listen, Bangalore, <laughs> taken pictures with a with a Polaroid or something. I was like, "I've got pictures. It came damaged." And eventually, I I think I threatened them with the Better Business Bureau or something, or I I don't remember what it was, but it it made me scared. To go online, buy things. That was the thing that that turned you off. I was like, my my sitar <laughs> box came damaged,
0: and it's funny that we had the middle part existed, the website that could list the things existed, but you're still, you know, you don't have either end of it. You know, like you're still having to take analog photographs, yeah, of of the thing to I post that- or to complain or to return.
1: I maybe ordered a beanbag chair from Canada, and it never came. And those two things, the broken sitar machine and the Canadian beanbag that never came, and I was like, get me out of this internet thing.
0: What would you do if, like, the beanbag chair, <laughs> a truck pulls up right now, a decade later? Beep, beep.
1: It's a beanbag chair with a big Canadian flag You know, sometimes
0: on it. they'll find a letter in a wall, and it'll be like, oh, this was uh, addressed to your grandfather from... Uh- from President Polk or whatever.
1: No, I because I customer serviced them, too. And it was somebody in Canada who was like, oh, yeah, sorry. It was a scam. Um, we're, you know, we'll get that out to you tomorrow. And I called them again three weeks later. And they were like, oh, sorry. And then it never came. And Canadian
0: like, beanbag chairs were like Canadian girlfriends. It was a they, total they scam. They don't actually exist. Yeah, they were, it was from the Niagara Falls area. Uh, but this is by way of
1: noting. No, it was from Winnipeg. I'll, I'll, I'm going to come right out and say it. Winnipeg.
0: Let's give the let's why don't you look up the address of this person who scammed you, and we'll shame them publicly for the distant future. So, but this wasn't this is an oddity for most of the lives of everyone who is alive right now. You could not buy something through digital means and just have it appear. You would have to look at it in a printed book, which would have pictures of things you might want to buy, uh-huh. and you know, unless there was a store near you, which. For most people, they did not live near the specialty store selling the weird thing. And I, I remember this as a kid wanting a weird thing, you know, wanting a book of NBA statistics so bad and having to, like, you know, uh, having to go to the weird little ad in the classifieds page at the back of some of some off-brand sports magazine to send away for it. You're the definition of a nerd. Exactly. Well, I mean... Sports did, nerd. You send... a Like, I send away for... um what? The first thing I ever sent away from was from uh, accessory packs for my Star Wars action figures.
1: I think it was Sea Monkeys for me. I think I, S- I sent away for Sea Monkeys and, and actually went through the whole, like, raised them up and everything.
0: They weirdly still print proofs of purchase for things, but you never have to prove your purchase. We lived in a time when you had to prove a lot of purchase. Yeah. Because otherwise sure you wouldn't get the game of Yahtzee with Tony the Tiger on it or, or whatever. Send it in. Or the little the little footlocker full of green army men,
1: which when they came, it turned out they were
0: micro-sized.
1: Boo, and you. We've talked about KTEL. Yes, you definitely got got records.
0: I'm a Columbia House guy. Yeah, yeah. We should do KTEL on this show. We've said that before. <laughs> Kamakami works on a uh, on a mail order catalog called Mail Order Life, which functions the way window shopping does for people who live far from the windows. You know, it's for Japanese suburban or you know, kind of exurban housewives who don't get into the malls a lot. How is this different from the Montgomery Ward catalog? I don't think it's that. I mean. I don't know. Like, I picture American catalog culture as being aimed at either turn-of-the-century people with handlebar mustaches or- My parents or in the chil- 1970s. Or children. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, I
0: the the audience for that thing was children looking at the JCPenney book because that's where you would see-
1: Sears catalog for us, but yes.
0: Or you would use Sears catalog for the brassieres, pres- presumably. No, no, the toys, the- the toys. Penny's had a better toy catalog than Sears, Wow, man. you're throwing down. This is a, yeah, I'm officially an old person now. <laughs> but you, the Toys R Us actually didn't exist. You know, there were no big box stores, hmm. much less websites with, you know, seemingly inexhaustible supply. If you wanted to see all the types of a thing that existed, you know, you, yeah. you and it wasn't at your mom, little mom and pop toy or hobby shop, you had to get a book of them. right. And Seikatsu uh, works for mail-order life, um, you know, beguiling housewives with the, the lifestyle accessories and gadgets of tomorrow, little labor-saving devices. Um, but he has a problem. Sometimes the page count comes in low, and that's his problem because he's got to fill a catalog whether the sales team has booked enough space or not. Oh. you know.
1: Oh, I wonder. Does the Vermont country catalog have this same problem? Like, (laughs) more candles. (laughs) Go out, scour
0: scour the countryside. We need a different kind of candied nut. (laughs) Uh, And so what he would do, you know, I'm sure another editor would just make the pictures bigger or something. Right. Or yell at his sales staff. But Kawakami has an unusual hobby, which he calls chindogu. For many years, he's been a bit of a gadgeteer a bit of an amateur inventor chidogu is a japanese phrase that means uh weird t- strange tools i mean unconventional tools basically i think he mm-hmm. prefers weird tools as the as the uh translation that's why the japanese hardware store in uh japantown in san
1: francisco is one of my favorite places to go oh sure cuz they have all these tiny little saws and little little gadgets that they only have one tiny purpose
0: but when you see it you're like I, I I need that. I just I walk into Daiso with my kids and immediately I'm like wait, I've never fried an egg that looks like Mickey Mouse. And now I can and it's only 200 yen. You influenced me. Actually, I went into Daiso
1: not very long ago and I remember the last time you came to my house. You say it every time. Is this a shoes off, shoes off house? And I think I give you a different answer every time. Make up your mind. <laughs> yes, no, maybe. But the last time you came over you were like you should get some little slippers like you would find in a Japanese home, or an Asian home. And I was at Daiso and I saw this big rack of slippers. They were all two dollars. I bought like six pairs of slippers. So the next time you come over,
0: you are neither a shoes off nor a shoes on home. Now it's, it's a slippers house. It's a it's a hundred percent slippers. Some of them Baby. have little pandas on them, like everything at Daiso. Mm-hmm. Some of them have Winnie the Pooh. Probably um, you'll find out the <laughs> Kawakami's unusual tools or chindogo were these kind of bizarre prototypes he had been making just for fun Uh, inventions with a very unusual aesthetic and niche and in the years since chindogo caught on he started you know he started to fill the extra column space in his with his own with his own made-up gizmos and i don't know if he was clear that these were not things that actually existed and you could order and it was a it was he was kind of doing a bit. Oh, it was a bit. He wasn't prepared to manufacture these. He was absolutely not going to ship these to anybody. I think it was more like, "Hey, um, moms of Japan, as you as you <laughs> sit at home uh, sipping and uh, web surfing from a piece of paper, uh, it's a flower waterer." Or uh, yeah, here are the ten rules he came up later for Chindogu, and from this, I don't think you can reverse engineer what the inventions were actually like. But I feel like. It can't hurt to go over the 10 rules.
1: Did, did, he, did he put them in a special section of the catalog or were they
0: interspersed like you couldn't tell which ones were gags? That's a great question because I was picturing them, you know, a newspaper editor would have to fill a column by putting in some weird bulleted thing that wasn't right. actually news. Yeah, I wonder if he maybe just added a section in the back. You know our our uh, unabashed dictionary defines, <laughs> and that's where the police scanner. Katsu got a little goofy. Um, to qualify as a chindogu, a tool must be first almost useless. It can't be completely useless. Okay, but it cannot be. It can't have any kind of utilitarian perfection. There's a sweet spot between usefulness and uselessness that the chindogu must thread. I'm, I'm trying to thread that in my own life every day. <laughs> Number two, it must actually exist. Oh. It must be built. You can't, uh, you know, it can't be a one line. Wouldn't it be crazy if they invented a necktie that also, like it It actually has to exist and it can't, also it can't be, uh, it can't be your friend's schematic.
1: Or, or Sean Wolf's remover installer.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it cannot be a, it's not a, a, a one-liner... Or a drawing, like a like a Rube Goldberg cartoon. It would be as if Rube Goldberg actually had to build the thing with the fishbowl and the cannon and the radio and every, all the rest.
1: So it has to exist and work as advertised.
0: Yes. Uh, the third rule is, and this kind of expands upon the useful but not uh, clause of rule number one. It, it's designed not for ease or efficiency the way you know, which is kind of the unspoken rule of other inventions. But it must represent freedom of thought and action. Oh. So there's a certain anarchic spirit uh-huh. to Chindogu, where it immediately says um, you're not addressing this need in the typical or most effective way. Um, they have to advertise their own—I mean, not goofiness, right? But, but their own uh, idiosyncratic spirit.
1: To use them is to uh, is to. Be living a, a life philosophy or or yes it's it's the opposite of utilitarianism exactly if
0: you were to open a store john what would you sell
1: oh i've thought about this a lot you know vintage sweaters um cheap guitars it's like old guitars but cheap
0: ones start making soap
1: no, I'm not like a, I'm not some artisanal shop
0: guy. I think it would all be found. Just stuff you're trying to empty out of your house.
1: Yeah, recycled garbage. There's that store in, you know, the, the, the little seafaring store in Paulsbow yeah. that sells like old stuff from old fishing uh, bobs and yeah, stuff. Yeah, just wrecked sh- ship
0: stuff. I love that store. You just want to sell old diving helmets. I do. I want to find stuff and resell it. When you begin your old diving helmet store, let me recommend to you Shopify. Well, now how is Shopify going to help me? It's uh it gives entrepreneurs the resources that like a big store would have so you could compete with them as a little entrepreneur.
1: Oh, this is helpful because I worry about this. You worry like, about
0: big diving helmet choking <laughs> well, out your
1: business. It's just like there are so many things that you need to have a cool online business, and I wouldn't know where to start.
0: Shopify does it all. It helps you reach customers online using social media, helps synchronize sales you've done on different venues and platforms. Exactly. It gives you reporting of your profit margins and your conversion rates, and it helps you accept all major payment methods. It integrates all the behind-the-scenes stuff that has to happen for you to start selling Diving Hill. See, this would be the
1: stuff that was challenging for me, right? All the, like, I would get overwhelmed by trying to do all
0: this myself. Let Shopify do it for you. It's hmm. more than a store. It grows with you. And I've got an exciting deal that I want to offer you right now, John. Well, well, what is it, Ken? If you go to shopify.com slash omnibus. Now that's easy to do. Slash omnibus, all lowercase. You're saying
1: shopify.com slash omnibus and omnibus is all lowercase. The letter O, it's lowercase. Oh, I see. So don't capitalize O, even though we normally would. The letter
0: M? equally lowercase so don't do lowercase o and then capital m which would be weird neither shalt thou capitalize the n (laughs) the i or the bus Uh if you do that you will get a free 14 day trial and that'll have full access to the entire suite of features shopify offers
1: two weeks two weeks so you're saying i could grow my business with shopify today by going to shopify.com slash
0: all lowercase omnibus but don't type in all lowercase just type in the word omnibus but do not hit the caps lock or shift key right while you do so shopify powers over two million businesses from first sale to full scale first sale to full scale that's shopify all the way from first sale to full scale the full spectrum of things that rhyme with whale shopify.com slash omnibus right now shopify.com slash omnibus Number four, chindogu must be understood by all. So you look at it and it's immediately clear what it is. It's not a little, it's not your cold fusion where you've got a pot somewhere and you think I'm close to cracking it. Right. Like you would have to hand somebody an object and they have to immediately get, not the joke, but the conceptual undertaking.
1: Right. It can't be so, it's so specific that only a computer scientist would get.
0: Yeah. And it, it it's not a circuit. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a gizmo. It's a doohickey. Number five, it, it, it is not for sale. It exists. A physical item exists, but it's not actually. Well, wait
1: a minute. This is starting to sound like like the uh, spaceship supply store, like a McSweeney's <laughs> thing where the rubber band costs $10,000.
0: This is where you can get a pirate eye patch, but it doesn't exist. Um, yeah, I think that would ruin the... Uh, I mean, one thing we're going to see is that there's... A lot of this springs straight from his 60s and 70s activism. Um Oh. It is much more compatible with Marxism if your invention does not actually... It exists, but is not for sale. So it's in the catalog to tempt, but you can't buy it. To, to amuse and entertain. Oh, I see. But if you were to call, it would just be like your beanbag chair. It's not coming. Number six, um, they're not... I'm making it sound like they're funny, and they are funny, but they don't... They're not Rube Goldberg machines in that they exist to deliver a joke. They are not a punchline. They are earnest. Okay. They are. They actually do address or solve some modern need. These sound more and more like me all the time. Do you think you're a chindogu? I I think I may be.
1: I'm not for sale. I'm earnest. I'm attempting to solve a modern problem but uh but and it's not clear whether I'm a joke or not. Do
0: you represent a certain kind of anarchic freedom of thought and action? I believe so. You really do. I mean, that's the number one thing people say about you. <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm wondering how this
1: differs from my own self-image or how how a stranger might describe me. You do exist. I'm yeah. a
0: chendoku. Almost useless. I amuse housewives. Aren't you aren't you kind of for sale though? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It depends on the the, the tidiness of the sum. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, I
1: <laughs> we're all for sale. Anything if somebody had offered uh, had offered him, you know, a million dollars for one of these, I bet he would have built it and sold it. I mean, depending on how much, he's still a student activist into his
0: thirties. Number seven, and this is interesting because I've talked about his, uh, you know, kind of the anti-materialist spirit behind Shinjogu, Number seven is they do not resent represent any kind of ideology or propaganda or philosophy.
1: Also true of me. <laughs>
0: they are themselves they are not a uh, they're not a, a a medium solely for social comment i see
1: oh so it's not it so in addition to not being a joke it's not a pointed reference right
0: uh-huh. nobody's going to be like ah right. very good uh kawakami right. san right. i understand it's a, it's a boss killer i agree with you on this on this issue number 8 and this might be where you fall off the map of chidogu you were 7 for 7 um they're never taboo there's no edginess to chindogu. They are, you know, despite the fact that they maybe—and that follow, follows from Seven. They're not pointed ideologically, but they're yeah. also not pointed in any kind of, you know, scatological or, or you know, nothing yeah. about chindogu would offend. They are universal.
1: But I feel like my—the degree to which I am taboo is overstated. I try not to offend. I think I'm universally
0: uh, of, uh, accessible. Uh, housewives all across the world could find me amusing. You're like one of those, uh, the the plugs that you take overseas that has all the kinds of plugs.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like e- evangelical housewives are going to like me just as much as leftist, humanist, uh, you know, like. Or dislike you as
0: equally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope not dislike.
0: <laughs> Number nine, the inventions must stay in the public domain. You cannot patent. Oh, that's where we differ. You're chindogu. Do you feel you're patented? Yeah. Pa- patent pending? <laughs> Exactly. And number 10 they are without prejudice. This actually does seem like it's a bit of hmm. an ideology, but the 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 only ideology is universalism again. There there can't be anything about them that is appeals to one culture or class or race or age group right over like, another.
1: Also not pointed, right? Not not right. to dismiss a classer.
0: So there is the idea is there is a universal human experience in modernity that we all share. And these are not niche product. They are immediately... And that's kind of why the humor is such an obvious point of them, because to the degree there is a joke, everyone sees it and gets it at once. They seem
1: Chomskyan almost, except for the fact that there's anything funny about them.
0: Uh, Kawakami is quoted as saying, um, this is the same spirit as the Industrial Revolution in Britain in the 19th century, Hilarious. Where, where, <laughs> we all love that, <laughs> where everything changed. But these are uh, uh, the, inve- the, the, the inventions that didn't make it. He calls them invention dropouts. Oh. Um, and that's because I think in many cases the compromises or the downsides are immediately obvious. Mm-hmm. When you look at the chindogu, you can see, well, this will never mm-hmm. catch on and here's why. You know, imagine um, somebody who wants to dry their clothes— the chindogu equivalent might be a golf club that is also a clothesline, so you can string socks along it, and every time you swing at the ball, the breeze blows through your socks and undies and dries them out. It technically would work, but right.
1: I see why you wouldn't use it.
0: That's not that's. There's a reason why Dar, the Darwinism of technology has not given us the golf club drying rack as the way in which we drive our, uh, dry our clothes. Um, let me just give you some examples online. Uh, you know, the best way to understand chindogu is to see some of the most popular ones. And now that these are all, because they're immediately obvious to the eye and to the viewer, they memify very easily. Mm-hmm. So the internet has really been a, you know, the the, the thing that exploded chindogu. Um, one of the most can, uh, canonical or, uh, or classic chindogu is the butter stick, which <laughs> looks like a glue stick. Exactly, you screw the unscrew the bottom of it, and a stick of a cylindrical stick of butter comes out, and you can just wipe it on your toast. Like, why is that not a better idea than butter as it is? You believe it is better. I would use a butter stick. I believe you. It would take longer. I mean, you can see the inefficiency there, right? Like a knife. If you were to use a knife, you could have butter the length of the knife, and a, you know, two swipes, and your toast is butter, Whereas this, you have the fun of of, uh, you know, gluing it, or a, a you know, scribbling on it like a pen, but it does take longer.
1: Mm, I feel like butterstick might be, might be something for me.
0: You, I'm going to work. I'm going to maybe work to perfect butterstick. 360 degree camera hat for the person who, this is like a butts or at some point I'm going <laughs> to look up the name of the guy, but, <laughs> you know, he's standing at a beautiful view, but he doesn't know which angle to take the photo. That's why he puts on the camera hat. It's a, uh, I think it's like seven or eight of those disposable cardboard cameras arrayed around your head. Each shutter is connected to a little tube, and you you hold a kind of a harmonica-shaped device that um, where you can pinch it, and it fires all the shutters at once. So you get a 360-degree view of your surroundings on film.
1: You know, I'm looking at some of these now uh online. What do you got? And it feels... What's funny is I think my first introduction to this type of stuff... Maybe through, because it feels very much part of a Devo universe. Sure, and I, H- high tech but low tech. I think this might have been introduced at a time when uh, Japanese culture was still s- so alien to like a, a kid from Seattle that it, these were introduced to me as le- as actually things that they used in Japan, and you would look at at the butter stick or the. Or the ramen headgear, or the
0: umbrellas on shoes. What's the? Oh yeah, so you keep your feet dry. What's the umbrella? Oh, the headgear. The ramen headgear is like the flower. It's pedal, the flower. Pedal. The rubber <laughs> bib that you put around
1: your face. Yeah, that looks like Peter Gabriel when he was singing for Genesis. <laughs> but like all these things, if you had told nineteen-year-old me.
0: This is is how they cool their noodles in Japan. A little fan hangs from the chopsticks. Yeah.
1: In Japan, you have a rubber hand that you use to hold the thing that you're cutting, and then you hold the hand, and the hand holds the thing. Like, I would have gone, oh, interesting. Like, yeah, Japan.
0: There is a kind of a beauty, an elegance to them because um, they have
1: uh, uh, legitimately like vending machines
0: that sell used underwear in Japan. Well, and, and, all, and all as we've said, like all kinds of very specific devices. Yeah, right. That we don't. So it's it's not just um, boy those the Japanese are nuts, which I'm sure was also a common 1980s American opinion. But sure. it's But it's more like the Japanese are very advanced. They have solved specific problems that we are still <laughs> grappling with.
1: Like here's a here's a pillow that's a hat. And you put the hat on and you, the pillow is behind you as part of this sort of like lion's mane of a hat, but it enables you to sleep anywhere. The one I saw, like, the, is it the one that's the hard hat? No, the, oh. the, this is this is like a pillow with a, with a soft
0: sleeping cap. There's one like that. That's good. There's one that's like nice. that that's a hard hat that su- sticks to the subway window behind you or the train window behind you with a suction cup. Uh-huh. and a card on the front of the hard hat that says, wake me up at Shibuya or whatever. Uh-huh. So that you can sleep on the subway. Your hair doesn't lull because it's suction cupped to the window behind you, and your fellow train passengers will tap you on the shoulder at your stop.
1: Instantly understandable.
0: The, uh, here's a, you know, if you, make, if you spill a small set of things on the floor, you don't want to get out the big broom and dustpan, but luckily you have your shoe broom and dustpan. It's a pair of shoes where one has a little broom at the tip, the other has a little dustpan at the tip, and by, by doing a little dance, you scooch the stuff into the toe of the other.
1: Here are the chopsticks that have a little fan, so that every time you lift the noodles up out of the soup, the fan cools the noodles by virtue of being attached to the actual And chopstick. that
0: solves a Japanese problem we don't have, which is the noodles must be eaten uncomfortably hot, which is why there's a lot of slurping and smacking of, of ramen and udon. Mm. Um But you'd still burn your lips unless you have a little fan. Unless you have a little fan. Here's a lipstick stencil, which kind of looks like a Hannibal Lecter mask that you strap around your ears, but it it has the exact lip shape. So instead of drawing very carefully a Cupid's bow, you can just swipe, 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 and you've got your perfect lip outline. Double-sided toothbrush?
1: So you brush top and bottom at the same time?
0: I learned that the Japanese are very interested in uh, toothbrushing technique. Well, a, sure. They have a word for it and competing schools.
1: I don't understand why that isn't the standard design of a toothbrush. <laughs> right. You do
0: top and bottom at the same time. I've been taking twice as long as I should my whole life. What are we doing here? Hay fever headset. It's a roll of toilet paper you wear on your head, so you can just unroll it right down into your nose, which is actually pretty good. Oh, I finally understand
1: what this is. It's a, it's a, a toddler onesie that has the that has like mop mop fibers uh, fibers all along coming the out of the
0: elbows and knees yeah so
1: as the kid crawls around the floor it's dusting the
0: dusting the floor turn your child into a Roomba
1: why is that not a thing
0: well they it's like your friend's suit pay the you, you know the, yeah. the baby inside the mop <laughs> yeah gets paid the kid's getting paid <laughs> and your floor's getting getting he has another one you can put on a cat's feet that cat looks very unhappy in the picture yeah. Don't um, don't put anything on a cat is something I've learned. A lot of them do seem to be combinations of two different things. You've seen a baby, you've seen a mop. Here's one you've seen you've seen eyeglasses and you've seen funnels. It's a, eyeglasses with funnels going into the lens so that you waste fewer eye drops when you Oh have to eyedropper yourself. I see that. Yeah. So they don't just drip out. I suppose that. Little tiny electric fans on the side of glasses frames for uh onion cutting.
1: So this is basically the uh the hard hat with two beer cans. Uh, And and that actually became a thing. Yes. If you were a a Packers fan.
0: Yeah, there's... um, A lot of these don't seem to be labor-saving, which is interesting. Like, that's very much a... Now you don't have to even get up. A lot of these, by implication, would take more work than the the conventional method. Right. Um, Or at least require... Oh, this is my favorite. Or at least require a great degree of foresight, like the back scratch guide, which is a t-shirt, which on the back has a 10 by 10 grid... And a corresponding uh, handheld version of the grid so that you can tell your significant other or companion, hey, my my itch is at G7. And they can look at your back and scratch you right at G7. There would always
1: be an itch that was outside of, you'd have to say, ah, it's over to the right of G7. That's because it moves, I think.
0: The itch. Yeah, you just got to track it down. Yeah. It's like whack-a-mole with an itch.
1: My 10-year-old has only recently been able to say, will you scratch my back at location x uh-huh. and it's the it's a, it's family bonding right it's like oh of course i'll scratch her back at she's like ah over a little bit and just watching somebody experience that for the first time that like oh that's it oh oh just over to the right it's like oh that's a it's a wonderful moment
0: i feel like i've rediscovered that in my 40s because i used to be able to scratch every place on my back and oh, now my my flexibility is such that uh, i need a hand
1: i am somebody i'm a large person who will scratch his own back in a door Frame. You're Baloo the bear.
0: Yeah, you'll just rub yourself up against a tree. But
1: I dated somebody who, would, for whatever reason, that really triggered her, and I could never get out of her what exactly it was. Uh, But she was
0: adamant that I should never scratch my own back on a door
1: frame. She's afraid you're. She's
0: afraid you're going to hit the little metal thing where the tongue comes out.
1: I don't know what. It, no, no, no. It did. It. It had. There was a very. Vis- this is Millennium Girlfriend. A very vis- visceral reaction she had. And, you know, she was a small person, so she didn't have this issue. But she was just like, no, you're like a bear. And I was like, yeah, I know, exactly. Isn't that why you're dating me? And she was like, no, just stop it. You're like an animal.
0: Wait, why does being a small person mean she doesn't have this issue?
1: Because small people she, can she, reach every part of themselves. Is that true? Well, I don't know. It's There's part of me that are I guess so far away. It's just like, God, I have to get all the way <laughs> over to there.
0: So if you look at these inventions, you can kind of see what they have in common. I mean- they yeah. all, they all do address a real need. We all understand sometimes noodles are too hot, and sometimes uh, the floor is dusty, and sometimes eye drops drip out of your eye. Um, and it's very it's a fun kind of creativity. The means is are low tech, but they're very impractical. Like you can you can immediately see why it's a little nonsensical. You would have to you can't be wearing the the shirt in advance at all times if, right. of having an itch on your back and. uh you know, and that is true for a lot of these, you know, you, what, if you spill something, you're just hoping you're already wearing the pair of shoes that has the tiny broom and the tiny dustpan on them. Well, so here's a question. How are
1: these different from, I mean, there is a dividing line, but it seems very, very narrow between these and things that you would actually see
0: in the hammock or Schlemmer yes. or, or, uh, I would believe butter stick exists. I would believe lipstick stencil exists. Maybe even the umbrella shoes. I definitely had a hat that had a fan that pointed down and
1: a, and a little water reservoir yeah. and it was supposed to cool you in a hot, in hot weather. Somebody gave it to me. You know, gag gift, but also you could see
0: somebody actually w- using it. Maybe the unwieldiness is part of it. You know, a lot of those things, even the ones that are a little goofy, like the two beer cans on your head, you know, unless they're specifically designed for goofiness, they're going to try to be a sleek, attractive solution to the problem. And these get a lot of their mileage out of being the least sleek alternative possible. You know, a full-size umbrella over each foot to keep your shoes dry. A massive... Nobody's going to wear a massive roll of toilet paper on their head just because they've got... Because the pollen index is high. They're sort of Duchampy too. Like... Yeah, there's something... There's a Dada vibe. And I think... uh, And, you know, a lot of the the rules where he says, you know, there's no philosophy that... You can see the surrealism there. Mm -hmm. The, The Dada of there's no taboos, but there's also no ideology or prejudice or Mm -hmm. it just is what it is. But to the degree that they do have an ethos, it it does seem to be a critique of, of materialism. You know, the idea that maybe the critique is our consumer culture is so out of control that somebody might buy an elaborate way to get the eye drops in their eye better or uh, a more fanciful or showy way to mop a floor.
1: Well, and also it's a, it, 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 they all seem to like point at the horror
0: of modernity,
1: <laughs> right? Like a hard yes. hat with a suction cup and a sign that says, wake me at my stop. Like the implication is that life is uh,
0: In, a, is a, in a healthier era, Yeah, when we all lived in the woods, you would not need one of those. You wouldn't fall asleep on a train. You wouldn't. Yeah. And a lot of them seem to be jokes about the modern pursuit of efficiency as as a God or a, or an overall good. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that you would, Put socks on your golf club so that they would dry a little in your backswing is, a you know, it's an implicit joke about the idea that a golf backswing needs to do two things at once.
1: Yeah, that, that it somehow converts
0: your leisure time into work. You, you're getting paid. If you're not doing two things at once uh, when you're on the links, what, what are you even doing? Right. And nowadays, you know, now that... Um, oh, I'm just getting this one. The solar-powered flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that one is a punchline, isn't yeah, that a, that's a uh, gag? I feel like that's a Polish joke or something, right? <laughs> Do they yeah. also have screen doors on submarines? Yeah, straight from the 1970s. But like the selfie stick. Well, that's what I was going to get to. Um, there, are, I mean, let, let me finish with the selfie okay. stick. I mean, the thing about the other thing I was going to say about all these is, in a digital era, they're all they all seem just courageously tactile. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, right.
0: they're all things you can touch and maneuver and immediately grasp and understand. It's not an app, in other words. Right. Whereas today, the idea is, how, many of, how much of my life can I solve with a black rectangle that has no buttons at all? You yeah. know? Like, how far can Apple go in removing any buttons or switches from their interface?
1: When, when Merlin and I record our other podcast, uh, Roderick on the Line, if I write him—we start at 11 to record, like we do here at Omnibus— If I text him before we record and say, hey, can we push 15 minutes because the coffee, I need to make coffee or something. He will actually send me a calendar update (laughs) for the new record time at 1115. And when I say, why do you do that? That's crazy. He's like, look, you have your system. I have mine. And he. He does he manages it that closely. Does
0: it please him that everything happens at the time it is in his calendar or is he genuinely worried that you might forget while making coffee? I
1: have no idea and he's <laughs> in, impenetrable. Like I can't I can't actually figure out what it's doing for him, but I think when he looks back a year ago he can tell whether we
0: we whether we started at 11:15 or not. I definitely have issues where like my wife and family know the um the goofy like quasi compulsive things that I do just because it pleases me to do it in this way. You know, like it annoys me to have a substandard parking space. If I know another aisle might have a better one or,
1: Oh, you'll go around just to find a better parking spot.
0: Yeah. And I'll accumulate. Like I have a, I have a list on my phone of where the best uh, rows are in every theater and every multiplex in town, just because I, I, I I like the security (laughs) of just having that in my pocket yeah you know pacific place theater Eight. Oh, i gotta be in g or h how do you do you did you manually compile that or is
1: that a thing that there's a oh, website
0: yeah. that tells no, you no years of years of work and first person experience every time you go into a theater i you sit in f- every seat you figure out what the best seat is <laughs> i and start then you- in a1 in the wow. front row in the corner and i go all the no but i do like after the movie if i'm like you know what i was a little too far back and i go into my app and i change g to f so that next time we approach closer to the, the perfection of the right theater seat.
1: Holy cats.
0: If people online could
1: just see my face right
0: now. And I know that's insane, <laughs> but like Merlin, it gives me pleasure <laughs> yeah, to do it okay. in a particular way. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, uh, the appeal of Chindogu was obvious and it, it spread beyond Japan. It really caught on in the 90s when um, Kawakami had enough of these accumulated to put out a book which got printed widely. In the West, it was called 101 Unuseless Japanese Inventions. Right. So it kind of ties into this exoticized version of Asia, of East Asia that you were referring to. Yeah,
1: right? I may have seen it at the time or, or seen it referenced, and I think there were probably plenty of Americans that weren't
0: sure how much of a joke it was. Like, it's a joke, but... But you kind of want to buy a 10-pack of butter stick yeah. the next time you're at a Japanese department <laughs> store. Yeah, right. The, uh, it goes international. Um, you it's know, an you, art book. Yes, and that's what that's what eventually happened. He opened exhibitions and gallery shows where he would show his prototypes because they all have to exist in physical form, even if he's not selling them. Right. So to appreciate them in three D, what else but a but an art show? And that's how they caught on. You talked about the influence of Dada and Surrealism moving across Eurasia to Japan. It kind of came back, you know, in France, uh, Western Europe. People started to love the Surrealist and uh, and possibly anti-materialistic. Uh, ethos of chindogu. I can and, uh, see the
1: French just gobbling this.
0: There's a Jean-Christophe Lecoq who has kind of become the the vanguard of chindogu in France. He's invented at least 200 of his own. I think the most famous one are the flint shoes, which mm. are basically, you can start a fire. They're like tap shoes, except it's a piece of flint on the toe, so you just, you know, tap it again, you know, scrape it against something hard on a, on a hard floor, uh-huh. and uh, you sparked a fire. Kawakami, for his part, has invented... 600 different Chindogu as of recording date and published many book compilations of same. The You mentioned kind of the uh ne Plus Ultra, am I using that right? Well, I think so. Of Chindogu, which would be the selfie stick, uh, which did appear in his first compilation. 101 Useless Japanese Inventions includes, in the days before cell phones, a rod that you would use to, put your camera further away from you and manually click a shutter to get better framing and a wider point of view. Yeah. Um, if you want to be photographed standing in front of something on vacation, you know, th- there's enough camera ones that you can kind of tie it into the, the 1980s stereotype of the Japanese as the, you know, the newly wealthy country traveling the world and getting snapshots of everything, which plays into a lot of Western stereotypes about Asia. Um, this is not the documented, this is not the first use of the selfie stick. Uh, it was, Invented in parallel also, earlier in fact, in the 80s, by a Minolta engineer named Hiroshi Ueda, who was at the Louvre and wanted his picture taken in front of the the entrance or possibly—I don't want to—I don't care to (laughs) stereotype the Japanese to this degree, but sure, in front of a painting or a a particular statue or something, and he hands his camera to a kid and asks him to take a picture— and the little urchin immediately runs off with the camera.
1: Oh, isn't that what an urchin Ooh. would do?
0: And of course, back then you would lose half a roll of pictures. Well, and a camera was an expensive thing. And uh, Ueda, working from Minolta, thinks there's got to be a better way than asking a stranger at the Grand Canyon to take your picture. You know, which still happens to this day. You'll, uh, if you're standing in front of a sunset, you might get asked by a tourist, "Hey, would you?" Uh,
1: I a- take a lot of pride in giving that tourist a. Uh, a good set of pictures.
0: If somebody asks my group, I will immediately jump forward and be like, Yes, ma'am. I
1: can do this for
0: you. This is going to be good. This is going to work out great. You're in safe hands.
1: But you've done it where the camera has come back to you and you've gone, Those are the pictures you took?
0: I have. I've also had somebody say to me, Hey, uh, I'd, uh, can I get a picture? And I think they want a picture with me, and they basically, they don't know who I am, and they want me to take a picture of them, which is always nice. That's cute.
1: Do you know who I am?
0: Anyway, because we waited, worked for Minolta, he immediately went back and said, we should have a long-distance shutter activator, and they put one out in the early 80s before even Kawakami did it as a quasi-joke, and it flopped.
1: Well, because cameras were heavier, I mean, part of it is right. It's hard to hold <laughs> a thirty-five millimeter camera, out.
0: and you can't see the you know with yeah right. You know, with the with the front-facing camera on a device, you can see what you're getting. Whereas a selfie stick, you're totally blind, and who knows if you have the angle exactly right and how the framing is, and if you're getting the what which part of the Eiffel Tower is actually showing up in the picture. Right. But the selfie stick is probably the closest Chindogu has come to crossing over into the real world. Because
1: someone actually took it and mass-produced it and sold it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And what was that? I mean, do they owe royalties to... No, I think
0: once the cell phone... It, it wasn't until later, once they were ubiquitous, and again, kind of a... Started out in the West as kind of a joke about either the goofiness of foreign tourists or the goofiness of uh, of screenagers and their, uh, and their selfie lifestyle or whatever it is. Um, I have never heard the term screen until right now. We like to use it ironically at our house. Well done. Like if one, of the, if one of the kids is on their phone, they look up and the other kid is on their phone, they'll be like, hey, what are you doing screen-ager? Um, or they'll call me or their mom a screen-ager. But uh, I think it was rediscovered once it was already out. Hey, this thing has already existed twice. Kawakami did it as an art object and Minolta actually tried to sell it with, with uh, film cameras in the 80s this is a thing. This is a thing. So, you know, maybe that means there's a future where you can dress your baby as a mop. <laughs> if
1: I had another baby, I would immediately dress it as a mop.
0: Immedi- when you say immediately, you mean in the delivery
1: room? I would say, hand me that baby. I have a mop. I have a mop onesie for it. Don't put it in that hospital blanket. You'd have to have different sizes of Put it. that baby to work. And that concludes Chindogu. Entry 215.PR0812, certificate number 36799 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, you will be what? A, a, a further generation of screenagers suffering under the, the uh, insufferable burden of knowing what other people think. Can you only be a screen ager until you turn 18 or 19? No, your kids are calling you a screen and rightfully so. It's like saying okay boomer to a Gen Xer.
0: I feel like it should advance with your age. Like there should be a, you could be a screnty something or a squirty something. Oh. No, that's terrible. Those are all Pokemons. It's squirty something. He's turning into a squinty something. <laughs>
1: that's right. A, uh, a screen ager isn't even your final form. <laughs> Uh, you can go to at Omnibus Project, at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick, at various places on the internet and find, I don't know what you're looking for, but maybe uh, maybe what you're looking for is there. Send us your inventions. Uh, that's right. You can send us your inventions to our email address, which is theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can send us our, your, I'm sorry, your actual Uh, chendogus or useful inventions at P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington 98155 Um, You can talk about various chendogus uh, on the Omnibus Futurelings Facebook page or other uh, social media spots where Futurelings congregate. Um, But you should only say nice things about us and when I add extra L's to words, you should celebrate it and not be mad about it. And you can support the show and Ken's and my attempt to now come up with five of our own chendogus, which I think should be a a goal for us. They they seem harder to do than at first blush.
0: They do. And remember to observe all 10 of the rules or your post will be deleted.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but you can support us uh, directly at patreon.com slash omnibus project. Now it's a, a new year, 2022 and, um... And keeping the show flush and fun to do. A tidy sum. Uh, <laughs> gotta have a tidy sum socked away. Will keep us from uh, from falling by the wayside as Ken becomes a, a bigger and bigger m- media personality and more and more of a millionaire. <laughs> I have to tempt him over here to the underground bunker. The Patreon must continue keep pace <laughs> with
0: uh, Sony's pay. Uh, that's patreon.com slash Project. You don't have to do it out of the goodness of your heart. You can uh, you you get cool perks. Yeah, oh there for are a lot of cool this perks. Show. For example, Chindogu was a, a show suggested by our listener Sam who uh, donated at the washing bear level for 6 months and qualified to pitch a show topic. Thank you, Sam. Um you already mentioned the PO box, right? While I was looking at the mail here. I
1: did. You've got some mail it seems like stacked. Yeah, up. Some I got
0: postcards. A, I mean, uh, you're listening to this in February at the earliest, but there are some cool we got some Christmas cards. Tess sent us her cats, Pippi and Buster. Look at them. Uh, Andrew and Ethan in Ypsilanti. Uh, Sh- show that. Show that to me a little bit better. We got cats. Hello. Got what,
1: a- what, you put your hand right I'm over sorry. Andrew and
0: Ethan's face. Sorry. We got cats and a and a good looking gay couple. They
1: are. They have very
0: similar smiles. What What attractive smiles? Do you think they both go to the same? veneer dentist or or, they seem very fit. They share a whitening uh, regimen. I would say that if
1: uh, in all of the pictures that have been taken of the two of us standing next to each other, you and I, neither of us have ever smiled with the kind of electric smile that those two have. Maybe uh, it's
0: because they're happy. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're genuinely happy with each other, and uh, that shows in the photo. We should try that. The Stark family sent us a picture with their dogs. It looks oh, like a maybe a, cool bo- animated. A, a boardwalk caricature. Yeah, they, them, they had maybe? that done at Disneyland. You uh, can save these postcards for a difference. I guess this is a New Year's card. We'll count this one from, okay. from Rebecca, who sends us... Oh, a lighthouse out in the distance. A lighthouse off, maybe in Lake Michigan, I believe. Does 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 the yeah. Does the Lake Michigan coast have its own shore? Have right. its own? I don't sure, know. That's
1: don't. that's how the Edmund Edmunds Fitzgerald uh, wrecked. There wasn't a lighthouse.
0: <laughs> somebody uh, somebody was out in the middle of the lake. That's well, Lake Superior, surely. Uh, but yeah, I do not know the lighthouses of Chicago. We also got, and I was I was wondering whether we should open this on the show because this did not come to the omnibus PO box. Oh. I told you this. Somebody
1: I, dropped, you, dropped it off at your house?
0: We were talking about uh, e-tail on the show. Yeah. I, I bought like a self-published, unfindable uh, comic book on eBay the other day. <sighs> uh-huh. And the thing about that is you have to put your name and address. Right. Which means if anybody sees, oh, this is going to Ken Jennings in Seattle, they might know who they're sending their, their collector's item to.
1: How many Ken Jennings's in Seattle can there be?
0: And in this case, uh, the seller must also be a fan of Omnibus, because he sent us each a personalized gift pack, well, along he, with the thing he, I actually ordered with the with, uh, caricatures of us. He sent something to me. Just uh, because I won his eBay auction. Now, wait a minute. I recognize this artwork. I feel like I recognize this artwork. Uh, he Well, he sent you a copy of his zine, Creator Showcase.
1: I, I, I believe I, I know this artist, at least through his work.
0: It's not clear what his name is. Ron, I think. Ron Gandy. Ron owns a comic store in Richmond, Virginia, and apparently has a great selection of indies because I could not find this self-published comic anywhere I know this artist. I mean, I've seen his work. And he sent us his mini-comics, which are delightful. Oh, how
1: cool. What a great little surprise thing to I know you love it when I get mail at your house <laughs> or when you get when you get emails that are like hey Ken
0: can you tell John hey uh, th- since you won my <laughs> auction hey can you give John Roderick yes exactly I won your option so now I get to do chores for you <laughs> I love it that's how eBay works and oh look a sticker for his oh, I like comic sticker. store oh he, does, has little, he has a little he has a little a pantsless Batman comic he draws some of these are scary um, you've never seen Batman Without Pants before. No, but I mean, he's got monsters. Well, don't read them after dark, for sure. So, yeah, if you ever sell anything on eBay, <laughs> better check the <laughs> name and address of who you sold it to. It might be like George Clooney, Malibu, California. We had a
1: correspondent who wanted who, who emailed me the other day saying that he wanted to send you he he was the the guy that sent me the coffee the coffee pods and he said look i want to send ken some dr pepper but the dr pepper distributor won't allow me to send it to a p.o box what because apparently like a half rack of dr pepper or a case of dr pepper sure they just know it's not going to fit
0: you immediately gave him my home
1: phone number well that's the thing he said is there a physical address i can send this to and i'm like oh this is so charming I want him to send the Dr. Pepper, but we are pretty good at embargoing our actual addresses from the world, and I, and I don't know what to do. I don't know. Do we get a – do you and I have to buy a house together that is – Just to get mail. That's just where we get big mail?
0: It'll have two doors, and we'll arrive at the same time like the Beatles in help, uh-huh. and then we'll all come into our big grass sod living room. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. And what then, do at- we do? Though. I mean, if that's the only way I can get free Diet Dr. Pepper, then yes, we have. Find a local business owner. Oh, this is what right. happens in the Seinfeld episode where Elaine doesn't want to give out her phone number. She finds a, she gives out the video of a local off, off-track betting uh-huh. establishment. Uh-huh. And they get calls from her for years. And then she gets Kramer's uh, bagel shop to take her number. There you go. Find a local bagelry or, or, or a betting office, gambling center. Back
1: when I used to not have a permanent or even temporary home address. Yeah, well, where would you have mail sent? I, uh, the mail started to arrive for me at the at the Espresso Roma on Broadway. People would send they would, you know, they'd want to send me something and they wouldn't know and they knew I would eventually show up at the Roma. So and the people that worked at the Roma got got frustrated when I started getting mail there. I never asked anybody to do it. It just was where you were, where I was.
0: Well, maybe it could be like this the system that apparently existed for mid-century travelers abroad. Oh, a postal you would, restaurant? Yeah, just or just say, you know, to uh, I, I have a feeling uh, my friend is gonna be in Vienna sometimes this summer, so it's care of American Express office, Vienna, Austria, and you would just have to wander into some building and be like, is there any mail for me? I'm
1: oh, American. Oh, I've gotten tons of mail at American Express offices around the world back in the in the
0: eighties. Yeah, you were Tom Ripley. You were you were yeah. scamming heiresses. <laughs> exactly. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word, which was lucky for listener Sam, who got got in under the wire. Mm -hmm. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.